It's Tuesday, June 13th. I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And I'm Priyanka Arabindi, and this is What a Day, welcoming all of the Reddit users with nothing to do during the blackout. You can just talk to us instead, you know? We're not going to talk back because yeah. we can't hear you. We might not answer, but you can pretend like you're a part of the conversation. Well, yeah. We can leave a pause. Like yeah, right we'll now. leave a pause right now. <laughs> ha ha ha, you did great. <laughs> you were so funny. That was a great joke. On today's show, youth activists are taking the state of Montana to court over climate change. Plus, two non-binary actors made history at this year's Tony Awards. But first, it is arraignment day in America. Round two. <sighs> Former President Donald Trump will appear today in federal court in Miami, Florida for the first time since being indicted on 37 felony counts related to his mishandling of classified documents. He is scheduled to arrive at the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida at 3 p.m. Eastern and is expected to plead not guilty. Priyanka, as you know, it's very, very difficult for me <laughs> to root for any prosecutors, federal prosecutors in particular. Sure, I know it, but... Donald Trump is really testing me. He's really testing me, this man. Yeah, that is one of the worst parts about this man. He really just is like, makes you question where your allegiances really <laughs> lie. Making you side with people you thought you hated. Yeah. Anyways... This is not Donald Trump's first rodeo. This is the second time he will appear as a criminal defendant in court. Earlier this year, he was indicted in New York on state charges that he falsified business records in connection with hush money payments to Stormy Daniels, who could forget. He also pleaded not guilty in that one, too. Yeah, I haven't forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I have not forgotten any of that. Okay, so nope. what else do we know about today's appearance? Like, what's happening? There's a lot going on. I have a few different things that we know. First thing, presiding over his appearance today is Judge Eileen Cannon. She was actually appointed by Trump to her position as a district judge back in 2020. And she was criticized for ruling in Trump's favor last year to appoint a special master to review the materials that were seized from Mar-a-Lago. So, you know, she's been here for a minute. That is an interesting element at play here. There also will be the scene outside the courtroom. Security, of course, will be tight. This is a former president. It's unclear how many supporters or protesters against Trump will show up to the court. It was heavy on the ladder when he appeared for his arraignment in Manhattan, but Florida, very different place, very different vibes. So who knows what'll happen? Trump has called for any demonstrations to be peaceful, which is just like pretty much a joke coming from him. So very much TBD on what happens out there. But as for inside the courtroom, federal court proceedings aren't streamed or recorded. So sadly, we will not be able to watch this go down in real time. Though, unfortunately for us, I'm sure Trump will have plenty to say afterwards. He'll be heading back to his golf club at Bedminster, New Jersey tonight. And according to his campaign, because despite all of this, he is still running for president, he will be delivering remarks at 8.15 p.m. Eastern. So in case you want to ruin your night, you can tune in to whatever he has to say. But, you know, just in case you want to salvage whatever is left of your of your evening, we will be recapping everything that happens in the courtroom, anything worthwhile that he has to say on tomorrow's show. So come back here tomorrow morning for the rundown. Why isn't he just going back to Mar-a-Lago? Who knows? He just saw Taylor Swift was at the top of the list for the Jets, and he was <laughs> like, no, fuck that. I can do one better. I don't know why. It's pretty wild. It just feels weird. You got to give a speech from somewhere. Like, why not Mar-a-Lago? But maybe just because right. it's the scene of the crime. Is it a little, like, too fresh? Yeah, I guess that's true. It's bringing back a lot of rough memories of bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Florida, a sweeping anti-immigration law signed by Governor Ron DeSantis is going into effect next month. 
The law, called SB 1718, allocates millions of dollars for DeSantis's controversial migrant quote-unquote relocation program. And starting July 1st, Florida will become an even more hostile place for undocumented residents. Among other things, hospitals that accept Medicaid must ask patients about their citizenship status. Undocumented immigrants who were previously admitted to the Florida State Bar will no longer be allowed to practice law in the state. And the law even invalidates out-of-state driver's license for undocumented folks. Okay, didn't know it could uh, get worse, but apparently it can, and it has, and it's much, much worse. The hospital thing is particularly cruel. It just means people won't seek medical care when they need it, which... Right. Like, they know what they're doing with this, and yeah, it is beyond cruel. That includes people who have children who need medical assistance. It's just really bad. And it's also not a totally new strategy. Almost 30 years ago, California voters passed a similar anti-immigrant initiative called Proposition 187. That ballot measure banned undocumented immigrants in the Golden State from accessing major public services, including public education and non-emergency health care. It even directed state and local agencies to report folks that they suspected of being undocumented. That sounds like a recipe for racism. Then Governor Pete Wilson, a Republican who was running for re-election, had already been targeting immigrants in his campaign ads and officially endorsed Prop 187. Take a listen to one of his political ads. They keep coming. Two million illegal immigrants in California. The federal government won't stop them at the border, yet requires us to pay billions to take care of them. Governor Pete Wilson sent the National Guard to help the Border Patrol. But that's not all. Jesus. Truly. Come on. But it sounds familiar, does it not? (laughs) I mean, beyond. Like, that could have been uh, a Trump ad, I feel like. That does not sound too far off from what we are fed, down to, like, the menacing voice and the little soundtrack. Yep. Could have been Trump. Could have been DeSantis. Could have been Brian Kemp. Any of them. Yeah. So although the ballot measure passed by a vote of 59% in November of 1994, legal challenges stopped the measure from ever becoming law, and it was eventually declared unconstitutional. Still, the proposition mobilized immigrant communities across the state and became a major turning point for California, arguably setting the stage to make the state the democratic stronghold it is today. So joining me to talk about this and more is Gustavo Arellano, columnist for the LA Times. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Gracias for having me. So I want to start by discussing something that you recently wrote about, which is the striking similarities between Florida's anti-immigration law and Proposition 187. So for folks who aren't familiar with that proposition, can you start by walking us through the measure and tell us a little bit about what it was trying to do? Yeah, so Proposition 187 is one of the most influential ballot initiatives ever passed in the United States. Its influence, we're still feeling it. I mean, by the very virtue of DeSantis basically trying to one-up what 187 did. And so the context of 187, you have to go back to 1986, actually, when President Reagan signed an amnesty with the idea that, oh, you know, there's not going to be any more undocumented migration into the United States anymore. Problem solved. But no, migrants still came to this country for a better life. And in California, especially as demographics were changing, the white population said, enough. We are, you know, their words, not mine. We're losing our country. No one speaks English anymore, blah, blah, blah. So out of this frustration, frankly, xenophobia, came Proposition 187. And in California, just in case uh, listeners don't know what a ballot initiative is, because I always thought all states had ballot initiatives. It turns out only a couple of them do. No other state is as crazy with its ballot initiatives as California. Basically, if you want to pass something into law, 
you could get the voters to vote on it if you get enough people to sign an uh, initiative to put it on the ballot. So in California, they got enough voters to sign petitions to put 187 on the ballot. No one thought it was going to pass. And then it totally did. Californians, almost 60% of Californians voted yes on Proposition 187. Mm, wow. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happened after it passed? Like what lasting impact did that have in California? How did it change the politics in California? You know, what was the impact of Prop 187? Oh, it was a double-edged sword that cut both the left and the right. On the left, it woke up an entire generation of Latinos like myself who either were undocumented, had undocumented relatives, like my dad, he was undocumented, and uncles of mine, and said, no, we are not going to take the uh, state voters telling us that we're the reason why California is supposedly going down the drain. So a lot of my generation, they got into politics. The reason the California legislature is so, I mean, it's a super majority Democrat, so the Democrats could pass whatever they want, is because a lot of these Latinos ended up running for office. Like U.S. Senator Alex Padilla, he was not in California at the time. He was back east going to school, but he protested against that. So it inspired, it basically made a generation of Latinos go Democrat. But at the same time, it inspired other xenophobes across the country to think, hey, if 187 could pass in California, it could pass in our states as well. So you've had xenophobic legislation and ballot initiatives all across the United States ever since 187. And 187, by the way, was eventually declared unconstitutional. But those same people who created 187 and created all these other either state initiatives, legislative initiatives, they were also the people who got into the ear of Donald Trump. And actually, Donald Trump, during his campaign rallies, he would surround himself with veterans of the pro-187 movement. And we all know how much he rode that xenophobia into the White House and how much now you're seeing Ron DeSantis and other candidates doing it today. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question for you. Like, what parallels exist between that ballot measure and SB 1718? And, you know, where are we seeing kind of history repeat itself right now, especially in Florida? In everything. I mean, DeSantis knows this history. That's why he's doubling down on it and making it even nastier. What's so disgusting about 1718 is that he is overturning things that Florida has done just within the past decade. So basically, you know, undocumented folks could go to college and pay in-state tuition. Not anymore. Undocumented folks could apply to become uh, lawyers. Not anymore. And one of the nastiest things of 187, and one of the reasons why it was declared unconstitutional, by the way, was because it basically mandated any government worker to if they suspected someone of being undocumented, they had to rat them out to the INS. Well, back then it was INS. Now it's ICE. DeSantis's bill wants to do that the same. But now the big question then becomes, will Florida, which was Democrat not too long ago and now is increasingly turning more and more Republican, will the 187 effect that happened in California, that also happened in Arizona after SB 1070 a decade ago, will it happen in the Sunshine State. And that's something that in my column, I argued that it's probably not going to happen because Florida's politics, especially when it comes to Latinos, are completely different from what's going on in California. But one never knows. So we're getting closer to July 1st when this law will go into effect. There is some pushback, right? There have been reports of migrant truck drivers starting to boycott Florida. A strike dubbed a day without immigrants took place in Florida as workers refused to show up to work in protest of this new law. And, you know, it's worth noting, like many of these populations are 
at much more risk of things like striking and things like not showing up to work. You know, they don't always have the same sort of protections that other people may. But what do you think about this? What are you seeing? And what is your message to organizers and Floridians who oppose this bill, who might be scared of what's to come, who don't agree with it, and who might be hoping for a Proposition 187 effect? You're not going to get victory immediately. Like, there's lawsuits already, of course, to try to stop this from happening. That's going to take years. So my uh, message to the people protesting, it can't just be one day. It has to be sustained. In Arizona, there was boycotts of Arizona that arguably had an effect. At the very least, it rallied good people against xenophobia. So you have to take your argument wherever it can happen. There's going to be different people arguing in different ways. There's going to be strikes. There's going to be sit-down protests. There's going to be arrests. There also has to be people, you know, going out into the media and having these debates with these xenophobes. That's what you have to do. Any which way, you have to do it because what's at stake here really, I think, is the future of American democracy. And in California, it worked out beautifully because look at us now. That was my conversation with LA Times columnist Gustavo Arellano. We'll have more to say on what Florida's new law will mean for immigrant families in the coming days. But that is the latest for now. We will be back after some ads. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S., with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash wad. Let's get to some headlines. Headlines. Banking giant J.P. Morgan Chase has reached a $290 million settlement in a class action lawsuit brought by Jeffrey Epstein's sexual abuse victims. This comes after months of public exposure and many receipts showing that J.P. Morgan overlooked warnings about the deceased sex traffickers' operations because he was a loyal, wealthy client for years. He not only kept hundreds of millions of dollars in more than 50 accounts, he also introduced a stream of wealthy clients to the bank, and the bank continued to do business with Epstein even after he pleaded guilty to soliciting a minor for prostitution in 2008. More than 100 women are expected to receive compensation from the settlement, and while J.P. Morgan did not admit any liability in the case, the bank told CBS News in a statement, quote, any association with him was a mistake, and we regret it. 16 youth activists are suing the state of Montana in a first-of-its-kind case over climate change. They claim that Montana, which is a major coal exporter, is violating their constitutional rights by supporting the fossil fuel industry and not setting limits on carbon emissions. And the group cites this line in Montana state constitution to back them up, which reads, quote, the state and each person shall maintain and improve a clean and healthful environment in Montana for present and future generations, which like Feels like the one time, like the old timey people yeah. might have been looking out yeah. and um, that it might not be working in favor of um, Republicans, I guess. Like, well, you know, they spent more time outside. <laughs> they could really appreciate They some. touched grass. They, they touched, touched grass, grass they for touched all of grass. their faults. They were not on Reddit, in fact. No, no, they were not. No. And it shows. This is the first climate change suit to actually make it to trial in the U.S., and it's definitely one to watch. That is because depending on how it plays out, it could set a precedent for similar lawsuits across the country. It's no surprise that the youths are the ones taking the wheel on this fight, but the state of Montana is expected to come in swinging, especially since fossil fuel-loving Republicans hold a supermajority in the state legislature. Coal industry jobs are very lucrative in Montana, and entire communities there rely on coal as their livelihood. The trial started yesterday in Helena and is set to continue over the next two weeks. We'll be watching very closely. New York City has become the first city to mandate a minimum wage for app-based food delivery workers. Starting next month, companies like Uber Eats, DoorDash, and Grubhub must pay their delivery workers in the city a minimum of $18 an hour plus whatever tips they make. And by 2025, that rate must increase to nearly $20 an hour to keep up with inflation. According to city officials, an estimated 60,000 people work for app-based food delivery services in New York City. The wage increase is a huge bump from their current pay of about $12 an hour, which accounts for the fact that these delivery workers are classified as independent contractors and have to pay higher taxes. While different apps still have room to decide how they calculate payments under the new rule, they must meet the $18 an hour minimum to continue doing business in New York City. As you might expect, they're not pleased with the new law. For its part, DoorDash even said it was considering taking legal action against the city over the rule, calling it, quote, unquote, extreme. Oh, you're going to say that out loud? I don't know if extreme is the word I would use. (laughs) No, like, I'm sorry, paying people a livable wage. In New York City, I don't even know if $18 an hour. I do know, actually, that's not a livable wage. Yeah. Yeah, DoorDash. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Extreme is New York City rent. Yeah. Is what extreme is. Got some questions for DoorDash comms on that one. But anyways. Yep. 
And finally, a little recap of some razzle-dazzle from the best of Broadway. Jay Harrison Gee and Alex Newell made history on Sunday night, becoming the first non-binary performers to win acting awards at the Tony Awards. Gee took home the Best Actor in a Lead Role Award for their performance in Some Like It Hot, a musical adaptation of the Marilyn Monroe movie of the same name. In it, Gee plays a character that comes to realize their non-binary identity through drag, and the story mirrors Gee's own journey with gender. Here is what they had to say during their acceptance speech. For every trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming human, whoever was told you couldn't be, you couldn't be seen, this is for you. Hmm. Meanwhile, Newell took home the trophy for Best Actor in a Featured Role in a Musical for their performance in Shucked, a musical comedy about a Midwestern community's mission to save their local corn crop. Take a listen to their speech. Thank you for seeing me, Broadway. I should not be up here as a queer, non-binary, fat, black, little baby from Massachusetts. that they can't do it, I'm going to look you dead in your face that you can do anything you put your mind to. I love the Tonys. Me too. What an inspiring, lovely award show. Truly. The only good one, I feel. I agree. It just gives you hope. Really does. Gives you hope and gives you so many things where I'm like, I actually want to see these. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas I don't know if I feel that way about the other, I know. The other award shows. It's true. Sorry to say it. It's true. Anyways, sorry to trash the other arts. We love all the arts. We love all of them. We love the Tony's most. Yes. Those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. We've made it a point to fight the freaks who hate to see queer joy this Pride Month. But let's not lose sight of the fact that we are here to celebrate and support one another. For the month of June, we have teamed up with our favorite queer businesses and authors to bring you our very own Little Gay Pop-Up Shop, where you can support the LGBTQ plus community as you browse our curated selection of t-shirts, books, totes, and more. So whether you're looking for a book that will piss off Ron DeSantis or need some cute cottagecore comfort, we have got you covered. Head over to crooked.com store to shop the pop-up all month long. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, tip your food delivery guy to support workers' rights, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just websites that aren't Reddit or Twitter, like me, What A Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And, and log, log off, off already. already. I mean, it's advice I need to take, but do it. I was about to say, hilarious for me to be giving this advice, honestly. You do it first and then tell me how it is and then maybe I'll do it too. <laughs> I'm sure it's great. Mm-hmm. is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our show's producer is Itzi Quintanilla. Raven Yamamoto and Natalie Bettendorf are our associate producers. And our senior producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. 
It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.